five, four, three, two, one. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. Here we go. It's game time. Unforgettable. Welcome to Sports and More, where almost anything goes. Coming to you from the marsh just outside of Edmonton, Alberta, here's your host, Dean Millard. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Nice to be in orbit. Feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, I mean, if, if there are players listening who are struggling um, or, or just need an ally, I mean, um, people came to there, were there for me when I first came out uh, within the community. And I try and, you know, support anyone who comes out publicly within sport as much as I can before and after. Um, they can reach out or anyone who just has any questions in general. Uh, my Instagram is Brock McGillis 33 and my Twitter is Brock underscore McGillis or at info at Brock Hello everybody and welcome to sports and more the podcast episode 24 took a week off uh, last week uh, had uh, been out of town and uh, needed some time off and uh, taking uh, time off this week from the, the daily show Sports and More Live as I'm uh, going to be heading out of town. But it's nice to just uh, recharge, especially uh, when things uh, were the way they were, uh, particularly on social media. We'll talk about that in a second. But on today's show, we're going to speak with Brock McGillis, the first pro hockey player to come out as gay. And we will discuss whether or not the world needs a star player, uh, a star athlete to come out and represent what kind of pressure that would be being the face of uh, that, the, um, the responsibility that goes along with, uh, you know, representing millions of people. That's a lot of pressure. And the struggle that uh, Brock also had in deciding about how or uh, if he would make his sexuality public. Uh, so it's a really interesting conversation um, and I really enjoyed it. And I think we should all learn from it. Um, you know, let's make this as normal as possible. That's what we need to do. Uh, so anyway, we're going to discuss that with Brock McGillis, uh, coming up in uh, just a uh, few seconds time. Um, as mentioned, some not so fun times on social media, uh, since Don Cherry threw out you people on his, uh, poppy, uh, wearing rant on coach's corner. And then Jess Allen from the social on CTV responded with an even more ignorant rant. And it, it brought a lot of social media bullies out and I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm done with them. Um, you know, if, if, if you're remotely belligerent or ignorant, you're getting blocked on social media because nobody needs to be around that. And if you're a bully and, and you have a fake name, you know, I, I, I think that's the biggest cowardice that there is out there. People hiding behind some sort of fake nickname and bullying people. This is the lowest form of cowardice. It's, it's right beside the text message warriors, keyboard warriors, as some people call them. When I was on 1260, you would get the most belligerent, ignorant, 
massively rude and hurtful things that, that get said to you by somebody who doesn't think they can be found out. But there's lots of ways to find out a, a, a phone number when somebody texts you and things like that. And, uh, and I just, uh, I, I, f- I feel bad for these people that whatever terrible thing happened in their life and, and they either can't or refuse to, to, to try and deal with it. And then they take it out on other people. So whatever happened in their lives, I feel bad for them uh, because it's made them, uh, he or she, um, ignorant assholes on social media, hiding behind some kind of fake name. And and a lot of it came out uh, with the Don Cherry. You know, there are ways to debate things without. And, you know, I if somebody is ignorant to me, I give it right back at them. I'll debate respectfully. As soon as that person goes over the line, they get it back and they're blocked. That's it. I don't have time for it anymore. So we all have to be better, including me. There's lots of things in my life that I need to improve, Uh, but we all have to be better on social media. Now let's just think before we type, before we hit send sometimes. All right. uh, On uh, podcast alley this week, uh, other than this uh, program, uh, we have the cannabis one one podcast, Sean M Hayes, uh, a cannabis consulting expert is going to join us and we're going to discuss the various different industries uh, that uh, he works with and has worked with that's uh, good it's a pretty good story um, and if, so if you're interested in um, some different aspects of the cannabis industry it's definitely a show to tune into we'll also of course have a lot of free stuff as we usually do the prospects baseball show is a bit of a moving target right now things are uh, pretty much up in the air right now with the team and the city so uh, not exactly sure what's going on uh, we want to make sure we get all the correct information before we go on the air with it so uh, just a bit a uh, bit on hold uh, right now with that program all right uh, before we get to the bio and our interview with brock mcgillis we want to remind you that you can win a gift card in acme meat market trivia uh, gift card up for grabs from acme meat market go hey si- go say hi to Corey, amanda and their wonderful staff in the Ritchie Market in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Check out their website, acmemeatmarket.ca. Acme Meat Market since 1921. And know that when you do get something from Corey the Butcher, that's his Twitter handle, you are getting it from one of Canada's top butchers. Named to Team Canada for the World Butchers Challenge in September 2020. Had a delicious T-bone the other day that I picked up from Acme Meat Market, and I've got a nice, uh, delicious lamb steak uh, that I'm looking forward to uh, diving into on uh, my vacation later this week. All right, uh, let's get on with the show. Keep listening because uh, we will have the Acme Meat Market trivia question at the end of our interview with Brock McGillis, and let's find out a little bit more about him with the bio. Time for the bio. Brock McGillis was born in Sudbury, Ontario, and grew up playing minor hockey in the largest northern city in Ontario. At 16 years old, he left to play in the Ontario Hockey League, suiting up with the Windsor Spitfires and Sioux Greyhounds, before he joined the Kalamazoo Wings of the United Hockey League. Eventually, he headed overseas to play in the European Dutch League. Along the way, he struggled with the decision of making his sexuality public. He came out as gay in November 2016 and has been touring North America since, speaking to kids and adults 
about the pain he went through and hopefully helping somebody else avoid it. When he's not on the road, he lives in Toronto. Brock, thanks very much for uh, being with me on uh, the Sports and More podcast. Uh, I, I thought the uh, uh, the article the other day in the Athletic uh, by Katie Strang was uh, was really uh, important, and I thought we should continue the conversation. So, uh, thanks for joining me. How are things today? Hey, thanks for having me. You know, it's, uh, things are going really well. It's uh, been a busy week. Lots lots of attention, that's for sure. Yeah, no kidding. And and positive attention, I think, or I know, and I, I know it's uh, um, something that uh, has to be discussed. Um, you know, there's, listen, I'm a, I'm a person who uh, has a journey with mental health and, and I'm constantly trying to break down that stigma and I'm not trying to compare myself uh, to you, but uh, you're also uh, an activist uh, trying to you know, turn, change people's minds and, and make it comfortable for, for other people uh, if they're in a, in a similar situation to maybe you were. Can you give us a little bit of a, a background and backstory on, on kind of your life and, you know, when you knew, um, you know, you were gay and, and when you were eventually able to uh, be open and honest about it? Yeah, for sure. And um, before I do that, I just want to tell you, um, I think there's a relatability to the mental health struggle uh, and being LGBT um, as a male in male team sports. And, and I think it's when you're different and you don't, and, or when you're vulnerable and, and it's um, you, you let down those barriers, you let down those guards. It's uh, seen as less, Wrong than the stereotype of what a man should be and a man, especially in a tough, rugged sport like hockey. And because of that, it's all looped in together. So I think there are some uh, similarities in that sense. So there, there is a ton of relatability there. Okay, well, that's a... I think that's important for people to uh, to know about as well, uh, you know, especially uh, if somebody is in a, a specific situation. So what was your uh, situation like? Because I think obviously everybody is a little bit different. I think you can probably relate to other people, but everything is obviously unique to yourself. Yeah, so um, I had a, um, you know, uh, stereotypical upbringing. I, I grew up in Northern Ontario, uh, stereotypical Canadian upbringing, I should say, where I grew up in Northern Ontario and lived on the ice. Um, I was addicted to the game from a very young age and I, uh, became a goalie at a young age and you couldn't drag me away from the rink. I, um, I grew up for a little while in a small town outside of Sudbury and, uh, it was a town of about 600 people and most of them were related to my dad. <laughs> And um, uh, we lived down the street from the arena. And I had access to the arena day and night. And a lot of the teams from Subbury teams, like I, I played on Subbury teams and whatnot for the more competitive stuff, they would practice in this community because there's open ice and it was cheaper ice. So they would come to Mark's Day in the town. And uh, I would, whenever they'd show up, I would be at the rink day and night just waiting in case somebody showed up without a goalie. And sometimes one goalie would show up, somebody would call in sick, whatever. And I would jump on with house league teams all the way up to AAA teams. I, I was in like Adam at the time or Pee Wee, and I, I would skate with the midgets. Like I didn't care. I just wanted to be on the ice. And, you know, the stereotype you hear of 
parents dropping food off at the rink for their child, that was me. <laughs> they did. All my meals were ate at that arena, and whenever nobody was on, I'd be on um, by myself, if worst case scenario. Um, and from there, I um, I think I always knew, though, Dean, I think I always knew that uh, I was gay. I remember being six or seven years old, and I was watching a movie with my parents, and there was a gay character. And I said, what if I'm gay? To yourself? And they said, if you, or no, out. to them. Oh, okay. Yeah. And they said, if you're gay, you're gay. You're Brock. We love you. Yeah. But as I grew up, even though I probably had recognized something was, you know, and, and I knew deep down, once I started hitting my teens and whatnot, I grew up in this like macho bro hockey culture, right? And I knew part of that culture was you hit on, you date, you hook up with as many women as possible. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's part of the culture. And if you don't, are not doing that, they're like, what's wrong with you? So I hit it and I, and I became a womanizer. Um, and I'm ashamed to admit that I'm not proud of, uh, my actions, but I became, uh, I embodied all the characteristics of, um, that hyper-masculine, macho, bro, cocky, hockey guy, um, through my beginning in my teens. And, um, and not because I didn't think it would, you know, like I, I knew my parents wouldn't care, but I'd known since I was six, but I just didn't think the culture would accept me. Um, but I, I knew from that age and, um, I hid it for a very long time. I hid it until I was, uh, 23. When I was 23, I was playing pro in Europe, and that's when I uh, finally said, you need to figure this out. And I went on a date with a man. Was there a one moment, uh, or was it just a build-up saying, you know what, I just gonna, I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to start talking about this and start telling people? Um, well, there was uh, a few moments and, and don't get me wrong. As I said before, I knew my family would be incredibly supportive. Um, they, they still are. Um, but they were very involved in hockey and my brother was the first round pick in the OHL played professionally. My dad scouted in the OHL for 15 or so years, coached AAA and junior hockey for 30 plus. Uh, and I feared that if they knew I was gay and they, you know, started to become more aware of the language and sensitive to the language that was being used in locker rooms, they would stand up to it and accidentally out me. Mm. And my fear was, because here was the reality, I went from being on the NHL draft list at 18, but I was suicidal, I was depressed, I was struggling with my sexuality, I was drinking heavily. I had season-ending injury every year from 15 to uh, when I retired at 28 or 29. And um, I knew that because I had to take the long road to get there because of all these injuries and everything, because I wasn't a draft pick. I mean, I missed six out of the eight months of my draft year with injury and still on the list. Um, I knew that if anyone found this out, it would jeopardize any opportunity. But at 23, I was sitting in the minor leagues of Europe. My career derailed completely, and I knew two things were going to happen. One, my career was about to end, and that was reality. I, you know, you can't 
drink every day and be depressed and suicidal and be successful in sport. Right. Um, and number two, I mean, for those same reasons, I was likely to end up dead. So I know at that point I had to figure it out. And that's when I went on a date with a guy and actually did somebody for three years without anyone in my life knowing. Um, uh, while I was still involved in the game, I had an alias, uh, that he would use with his friends. So they wouldn't find me on social media and I didn't tell a soul in my life. Hmm. And, um, and then, uh, it ended, it was really tough. Um, as you can imagine, you know, and, um, it ended. And at that point I moved, I took a step back from, you know, trying to pursue the professional game and and I went to school and at that point I decided to focus on education still play university hockey in case I decided to pursue it afterwards and um, uh, that's when I met Brendan Burke uh, while I was at school that's when Brendan had come out Brian Burke's son and um, he became a friend of mine and we would talk uh pretty frequently and then one day he said to me he said I can't wait for the day that you're out to your family like I am to mine and because again the reasons I said earlier I couldn't fathom the idea of coming out to my family and um, I didn't answer him I didn't respond to his message Mm. two days later he passed away in a car accident and those ended up being the last words he ever said to me wow and that's when I decided in that moment to come out to my friends and family, except I remained closeted in hockey. Um, I didn't think there would be any opportunity for me in the game if uh, hockey people knew I was gay. And it was predominantly due to the language I heard in locker rooms my entire life. It made me feel like I wouldn't be you know, able to fit in and people would look at me differently. So I didn't tell anyone. And um, even after retiring, I didn't tell anyone. Um, And I started working with athletes. I started uh, uh, doing off-ice training on ice uh, skill development and worked with about 100 players daily. And uh, came to find out a few years later that they all knew. Wow. Yeah. And um, they were partially the reason I came out. I found out that uh, they knew and they were watched, like they started policing one another on their language. And I had OHL kids telling younger kids to do push ups when they use homophobic language. Amazing. And it was creating, yeah, it was creating a shift that I didn't know about. And when I found that out, and then a few other instances happened, uh, the association I grew up playing in, the association that I was coaching in, that my father coached in, my brother played in, coached in, uh, blackballed me from working with their players in season when they found out I was gay. Seriously? Yeah, they never gave the reason why, but mine was the only business in Sudbury not allowed to work with their players in season. I can't believe that. Wow. Yeah, this was 2015-2016 hockey season. Oh. Yeah. And um, so it wasn't that long ago. And they um, they didn't give me a reason why, but I had all their top players in the offseason. All the top players in the city. I had the most high-level players, and I had the most volume of players. Yeah, during the season, they said, you can't work with our teams and our players. 
but you can coach for free. Hmm. And I was the only one who also did the training that coached. And yet I was the only one not allowed to um, uh, work with their players. So my dad said to the president, he says, it because Brock's gay. And the president said, what? I had no idea. Even though I knew he knew, everyone, the majority of people knew. And uh, the next day, I guess the president went around and started telling some other people. And the next day I showed up at a rink for a practice on a team I was uh, helping with, a midget team. Uh, and uh, the coach said, I no longer need your services. And he kicked me off his staff. Wow. Yeah. That's not um, that long ago. That's crazy. No. Yeah, that was, what, three years ago? Huh. Um, yeah. So, and it brought me to the place I always feared I'd get to. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so I, I struggled with that. And then a couple other things happened shortly thereafter. There was a... Um, an incident in Orlando yes. at Pulse nightclub where 49 people were murdered just for being gay. Uh, somebody went in and shot up a nightclub. And for the LGBT community, my community, that's uh, for a lot of people, it's the only safe space they have. It's the only place where they can go and be themselves and not fear being called names. They can love who they love. They can kiss who they want to kiss and not fear being beaten up, not fear being murdered. And yet that was taken away that night. And it was uh, shortly after that, that I reached out to Tanaya Spurgey, who's a friend of mine. Uh, I'd known her since my playing days in the OHL. She was covering the league. And I said, listen, I, um, I'm coming out. And that's when I publicly came out. It was uh, November 2016. Wow, that's uh, it's it's an amazing journey. I just uh, that kind of double life that you led, uh, where you had aliases and didn't tell anybody for three years. I think that might have been exhausting. I'd imagine. Oh, you have no idea. It was the. Um, most mentally draining aspect of it all. I thought when I, you know, it's funny before, uh, before I came out and, and when I realized I was gay and, and started dating men before I told anyone, I thought, okay, this is great. Like I finally figured out that I'm gay. My career is going to get back on track. I'm going to make the NHL. Life's going to be good. Um, you know, I'm going to be happy, but it actually got worse because now I was in the closet. Yeah. Now I was hiding who I was. Now I was, you know, had this double life. Now I, you know, luckily for me, I was constantly injured. So I had an excuse to be in Toronto and, and seeing my partner at the time, but it was, it was, so mentally draining and the fear of anyone finding out just consumed me. Yeah, I can, uh, I can, I can only imagine, uh, um, that and, and, and imagine, um, you know, life as a, uh, not open gay teenager in junior hockey was 
draining as well and hard. I mean, you, you said you kind of, um, you know, put that mask on and played that macho personality. Um, but, but hearing that language, uh, I don't know. I don't know how that would have been like. What what was it like as a as a teenager? Um, you know, with, when people do not know, um, but you know you're gay, and and you're hearing that language every day. That had to have been you know tough mentally as well. Oh, it was a nightmare. I I suffered from deep bouts of depression. Um, I again was constantly injured, and I think some of that was psychosomatic uh, because I was struggling so much. I was suicidal on a number of occasions while I was in the OHL. I tried to kill myself. And I, I struggled immensely. And, and it was, nothing was necessarily, you know, targeted at me. It wasn't like people were sitting there calling me names. It was right. just hearing that every day made me feel like I was bad or wrong or couldn't be myself. And it made me feel like I, I was less than everyone else. Yeah. And then, and then you're trying to, you know, it's funny because when you're in junior hockey, major junior in Canada, you, you almost have this bit of celebrity, right? Like yep. you're, I would equate it to being like a, an Instagram influencer or a YouTuber where you're semi-famous, but you're still accessible to the public. So people come up to you and talk to you about hockey. So your whole identity is revolved around the sport. And, and you're sitting there and you're like, wow, this is, you know, essentially validating me. And it's, I'm known as Brock McGill's hockey player, but at the same time, it's ruining me. And, and I didn't know what to do. And, and every day was a struggle. And yet the only place where I never thought about it was on the end. Hmm. That was your was escape kind of. Yeah, and yet it was the culture around it that was destroying me, yet when I was on the ice, all I thought about was the game. Nothing else mattered. What do you think it is like uh, for maybe a teenager of today who is playing junior hockey and, you know, the, in that sim- similar situation to you, uh, contemplating um, their sexuality and, and their honesty and their openness about it. Do you think it's better? You do a lot of public speaking. You do some traveling. Um, from, no, from your it's eyes, not. It's- I'll tell you right now. I, I think kids today are more um, uh, are more progressive in their thoughts okay. because they're exposed to more um, with social media, with everything else. You know, like... Growing up when I was a kid, there was a stereotype of what a gay man was. For sure, yeah, yeah. You know, it was this uh, hyper-feminized version of a man, typically a character on TV that was uh, supposed to be funny and, and you know, um, like, was kind of made fun of. Yeah. Um, and, but today, they're, they're exposed to so much more. They, they see different types of people uh, that are gay, straight, bisexual, whatever, trans, um, and and it's not uh, as necessarily shocking to them. So there, there's there's that bit where they're exposed to more, so prog- they're more progressive in their thoughts, but the language hasn't evolved. Yeah, the, the language hasn't evolved, and that's the biggest piece. Like I had uh, a kid I work with tell me last year that he got into his team huddle his first day with a new team in junior hockey 
and they're getting ready for the game, and the captains are in the middle of the huddle saying, let's go kill those faggots. Hmm. Uh, another kid told me that he, and he moved to the GTA to play junior A and he said, you know, like in Toronto, you think it'd be more progressive. He said he had never heard because he grew up where I was coaching him. So nobody used that language. Mm-hmm. He walked to this new team and he couldn't believe how frequently people were using homophobic language. It was nonstop. So how does that change? How do we change that? We need to humanize it. We need to humanize. We need to put faces to it that'll create the shift. So that's my goal. That's why I've been going across the NHL now, and ideally would love to go across uh, hockey and sport and go to schools and whatnot. Is to humanize the issue when they see somebody who looks like them, sounds like them, kind of walks like them. You know, hockey players Mm -hmm. like we walk the same, talk the same, dress the same. Kind of like there's a lot of you know you can. Go to any mall in Canada and you can point out the kids that play hockey. You know, there's a lot of conformity there and, and there's reasons for it. Um, you know, they're isolated from all their peers because they're off in a rink and, and they travel so much and everything else. But um, I think we got to change it by humanizing the issue, uh, which is what I'm trying to do, become, you know, like, here I am, look, this is what it did to me. And also shifting the environment, so that's where the adults come in. Uh, the ex-players who are coaching now, the people involved in the game, have to create a shift there where that's unacceptable. And do it at the minor, the youth level, like a bottom-up model, so that kids grow up thinking, oh, it's wrong, I shouldn't do that. We can't say this in a locker room, we don't say this. So that's a comfortable place for everyone. And also do it from the top down. So these adults, these whether NHL players, um, management, that type of thing, who are so deeply rooted within the sport, also recognize, yeah, we got to shift. And and doing it both ways will create that shift. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep. And also realizing um, that we do conform a lot in the game. And, and like I, I did, uh, I was talking to somebody, an ex player one day, and he was talking about, um, how he, I did, you know, this guy has a podcast, and I jumped on this podcast, an ex OHL player. And I said to him, I said, can you imagine bringing a book in the locker room just to read for fun? <laughs> and, and he said, no, you'd get destroyed. That's amazing, eh? But but it's reality. All of a sudden, you'd be the outsider. You'd be different. You'd be the fag. And they all kind of go in the same line. You're either feminized or you're gay. If you're different than the norm. Yeah. But they're all different. So for like, and you even look in the NHL, Dougie Hamilton. Yeah. D- Dougie Hamilton's been traded twice because they say he can't fit in with teams because he likes going to museums instead of drinking with the boys. Yeah. Fits in well with Carolina. Well, yeah. yeah. But do you know what I mean? Yeah. They're, they're a team that, that uh, accepted the fact that they're all different. They're weirdos. They're in this outlier market. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and, and non-traditional market. So it's allowed him to kind of embrace who he is. But, but in hockey, he's been, you know, not, not because he's, you know, sexually assaulting women, 
uh, harming people physically or anything. But all of a sudden, he's the bad guy because he likes reading and he likes going to museums and learning. Mm. <laughs> like, where else in the world is that considered bad? You know what I mean? Yeah, and, it's a bizarre, bizarre situation. Well, and, but but that's the culture, and it's and it's because uh, and here's my theory on it is um, at a very young age, we. Well, every, every, the majority of other sports are solely played in the school level, right? right? Yeah, growing yeah, up, yeah. they're played at the high schools, they're played at the elementary schools, and this and that. They might have tournament teams the odd time, but hockey is very isolated in the sense that we go to arenas away from everyone else. Well, the basketball team's practicing, the football team's there, uh, you know, the volleyball team's around, and men, women, everyone's kind of intermingling. But hockey, soccer's there, who, whatever. Pick but hockey we go off to an arena far away from everyone else and we're there for hours on end and we're there six days a week so we're always together and we travel a ton and then when we hit our you know 15 16 we move away from home so now our only friends when we move to this new city are the other hockey players on our team who also moved away right yeah so now you're always around each other constantly. You're not exposed to anything different. So you start talking the same, dressing the same, acting the same. There's no differences there at all. Yeah. And and then when you go home in the off season, you hang out with the people you grew up with, which were the other hockey players. So yeah. you become a product of this environment. So the language, everything else, it, it continues. And then your, your coaches are ex-players and everything else. So now when I go into teams, so to take a step further from humanizing the issue, I want them to realize they're all different. So I have an exercise, and I have I have this saying that I say, I say normal doesn't exist, it's a fallacy, it's fake. Because they all want to fit in, they all want to be normal. Right. We're all a bunch of weirdos, we're all different. And then because of that conversation I had about the book, now I, now I get kids to tell me, something they wouldn't typically tell a teammate. Share something about yourself. You call yourself a family. You call yourself brothers. You, you say all these nice things. Tell me something you wouldn't typically tell a teammate that you enjoy doing. Huh. No judgment here. Right. Um, I had a fighter tell the teammates, tough guy in the team says, I like writing poetry. Awesome. That's, that's amazing. You get people to open up like that. Completely. Well, but I've also shared for an hour prior to, I've humanized it, right? Yes, I've, I've yes. shared how I, uh, experiences of wanting to kill myself and all these things and uh, trying to kill myself and all my struggles throughout my life. And, and, and I'm breaking down those barriers by just humanizing all this. I had another kid beside him goes, I, if I don't make it in hockey, I want to be a zoologist. Another kid looks at him and goes, really? I love animal documentaries. Awesome. Like, so now they're bonding on a deeper level. On something other than hockey. So now, if somebody goes, well, I like men. Well, yeah. you're all different. You just proved it. Yeah. What's the difference? Somebody else might say me too. Bingo. Right? And statistically, I mean, the odds are, like, uh, I think studies now are showing that uh, close to 23%, 24% of the population is LGBTQ. Right. So when you do the math, it's probably two in that dressing room, you know, and you think about hockey as a whole, like annually from major junior NCAA and above, there's over 10,000 players annually. 
up until this year, in the past month or so, two players have come out. Uh, one ex-player in Finland and then somebody in Denmark. I was the only player in the history of the sport to come out publicly. Yeah. That played those levels. Ten thousand annually. It's mind boggling. Yeah. It like listen, there are gay NHL hockey players. It would be a statistical impossibility if there wasn't one player at the very least currently playing that is gay. I, I just can't believe it. But what has to what what do you think has to happen? You know, what um, I don't even know if if there's like a, a perfect environment, I know uh, Brendan Shanahan spoke uh, a lot about how they are trying to be ready if, if, a, if a player does feel because, you know, hockey players, as, as we talked about, are kind of taught not to rock the boat. And it could be a, a pressure packed thing uh, to be the face of the NHL as the first gay athlete. So what do you think has to happen for it to happen? Because that obviously, I think, is going to take a, you know, a step forward and then maybe allow younger players to say, I'm going to make this choice too. Right. I think it comes from what you just said. Hockey players are taught not to rock the boat. Um, uh, people have personalities. And believe it or not, so do hockey players. Yeah. Um, we wouldn't know that. You wouldn't know that by any media they do or anything during a season. No, not at all. And and the, but the reality is they do have them. And as more people share and 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 shift away from that culture and, and recognize that they're not this bot, you know what I mean? Like like going back to you know just recognizing we're all different, we're all unique, we're all you know. Um, weirdos, as I put it, we're all different. We all have weird things, and just embracing it. Like, like you look at like somebody like PK Subban. Mm-hmm. There's somebody with a ton of personality. It's vilified for it. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But but if we start as as um, and, and I think it's going to be up to everybody involved, not just the player. I think putting the onus on the player is almost too much. But um, creating an environment where players can rock the boat or, or embrace their, you know, individuality. Um, I think we're starting to see it a little bit in, in Toronto right now with Matthews rocking his mustache or uh, William Nylander seems to be really into fashion and that type of stuff. So maybe maybe they will show a uniqueness, a flair, something that kind of like you know you see it along the NBA. And as they do, and as they're more individualized, um, you can still be a team and be an individual. You know, and and when they recognize that, and they start to be celebrated for their individuality, for their uniqueness. Um, then it's not going to matter. And then that there won't be a burden or there won't be a feeling like you're rocking the boat because you're just a player showing your uniqueness, your, your individuality. And, and I think that's the key. I think that's when we will see it. Um, I think we're a long time away and I think we have to start at a grassroots level because the reality is so many kids are quitting the sport. Um, I, I, I've had, so many people come to me that played high levels, like or could have gone to high levels, whether they've been high picks in major junior or different things like that, and quit. I have one friend who had an opportunity to play a higher level, and he played a lower level. He played 
he could have played uh, the top level of junior in his area and played down a level because he didn't want people to find out he was in university. He didn't want people to find out he had a boyfriend. Wow. So he went and played junior C instead. 45 minutes, drove 45 minutes daily to go play junior C so nobody would find out. Yeah. And that, that just should never happen. You should never um, um, feel the need that you have to do something uh, that you're uncomfortable doing just because um, other people, you're, you're worried about the reactions of other people. And listen, it's unfortunate. I, you know, I, I didn't tell a lot of people about my mental health for a long time. I just disappeared from the media landscape for months because I was scared about how people were going to react. So I know what that feeling is, uh, whatever it is relating to you. Um, do we need a professional NHL player to come out? And when you say it's a long ways away, are you talking like five years, 10 years, or, or hopefully sooner than that, I would hope, but I don't know. I, I do you... don't think we'll get a player playing for another like 20. 20 years? Yeah, unless the environment changes uh, significantly. And I, I don't know if we need a player out. I think we need to do a better job to foster an environment mm -hmm. for the youth um, so that they don't quit the sport. Because here's the reality. Um you know, when you get to that level, the NHL level, and, and I, I don't think a lot of fans like hearing this, but the reality is uh, it's entertainment, right? Yeah. It's a form of entertainment. Sport, and we're passionate about it, but it's a form of entertainment. 100% it is, yeah. Um, uh, and, but at the younger level, it's it's played for the joy of sport. Yes. And, and sport can be such a powerful tool at that level. For kids, I had this young uh, teenage trans boy come to me recently. He he um, cut himself daily. Hmm. He was a cutter. You know, that's how he dealt with his depression and emotion and whatnot. Right. And um, he he found bodybuilding and powerlifting. So he started lifting weights every day and finding that and having that to like think about and do every day helped him stop cutting himself. And, and that's the beauty of sport that it, it can give you that purpose, that joy and, and that escape. Um, you know, so I look at hockey and say, in Canada, like it can be used for so much more, like such a big picture here that you know what? Yeah, less than one percent make the NHL, but we can empower people that are you know to be individuals, to be different. On top of the the already phenomenal aspects of it of teamwork and discipline and work ethic and all those things that go with it already, we can, we can increase that list of things that sport gives you, that hockey gives you. And, and, and that's the important aspect. So fostering an environment where, where people can come out is more important than the actual player at the NHL level coming out, in my opinion. Oh, it's a, you know, and I think that's a, it's a really good point. Cause I think a lot of people and myself included are so focused on, you know, what the role model, who the role model is going to be. But if we just, you know, if it starts at home with parents, if it starts in the dressing room with coaches, if it starts, you know, at schools with teachers and, you know, not putting up with that language and not 
fostering that language either. Like, it's not just like, uh, you don't use that language because when your kid hears you use that language, he's going to use that language. So stop at home, Completely. stop in the dressing rooms. And you're right. The, the, the kid of today, the kids of today are, are, I don't know, they seem more inquisitive than, than I ever thought we were as kids, but um, they're more open. I think today, and I think that's as a society, we're slowly changing, uh, but but you're right. Maybe it doesn't need to be an athlete. Maybe it just needs to be our attitudes changing with the kids we're raising. And for that matter, I, I don't want to put that pressure on the player. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? It's not fair to the player to have to be, you know, not everyone is built for, like, like when I first, the day I came out, I received over 10,000 messages. Uh, it's been two and a half years. I travel around North America speaking and, and, you know, advocating and I do media on uh, feels like almost a daily basis, you know, and, and uh, that's not for everyone. Right. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just because he wants to play in the NHL doesn't mean he wants to advocate for a community. And the other thing is like, I look back, I did interviews uh, anonymously after Brendan passed away, Burke. And because I, even though I was gay, I had never lived as a gay man. I lived anonymously. Yeah, no, yeah openly, yeah. So I, I didn't know what it was like to be a part of the community. I had no idea what it was like to be gay and, and to be, uh, you know, going out and being part of that world. So who was I to speak on behalf of that community? And I think we're putting additional pressure that's likely pushing that person further into the closet. Yeah, that's uh, it, it, it is something um, to be able to say, uh, you know, and it's, it's, you know, similar to your situation when you, you know, you, you re admitted to yourself that you were gay, but you didn't do it openly. You said it got worse and, you know, somebody coming out to, to the public you know, maybe their close friends and family know, but coming out to their public is one thing. And then being the national face, the the global face of uh, the, the uh, LGBT community in, in hockey is is a daunting task when you think about it on, on the big picture. And I think probably for any athlete uh, in, in any sport. It, it, it's not easy, I'll tell you that. And, and that's not to, you know scare anyone from coming out because I, I think there's whether they want the role or not, whether they take the role or not is relevant because, um, you know, just sharing their story is and, and living their truth and ultimately has impact. Um, but like, I mean, I get messages from kids and from adults all over the world on a daily basis, people struggling mm -hmm. and there was no manual or anything like, like I'm happy that now I'm here that I can, you know, like I helped uh, Scott MacArthur, uh, sports, uh, you know, radio host. Yeah, he's now with, he does the morning show at Sportsnet. Um, so he came out, he, um, he actually um, messaged me in June and said, hey, I want to be a better ally. Um, can I talk to you sometime? And I said, yeah, sure. Here's my number. We can jump on a call. He said, uh, there was somebody that had inspired him and, uh, a, a blue Jays blogger had come out of strand and, um, he wants to be a better ally to the community. And that person didn't inspire him. But when we jumped on a call, the 
10 seconds in, he's like, Brock, I'm gay. Mm. And he's like, everyone in my personal life knows, but nobody really knows in my public life and in my work and everything else. And we worked at it and, and, you know, uh, we came out publicly and, and, uh, has been doing some really great things and has been very visible, but he had to do it his way on his time, you know, and, and, um, what he does is not necessarily the same as what I do and vice versa. And, and, you know, um, so whatever role that person takes, I, I, I don't know if they have to become the face. I, I think if we all chip in and become faces in our own way, it's, it's going to be even more powerful than putting the onus on one person. Cause I felt that onus. I'm not going to lie to you. I felt it for two years and, and it was, uh, brought me back to some dark moments. I was very depressed for a while. Um, you get people struggle on a daily basis, but, um, I think we have to just foster environments that enable people to be themselves regardless of what they are. So instead of, uh, wondering if there's a player that is, uh, ready to, to come out and, and, uh, be open about, uh, their sexuality, um, I'll ask you this then is the league ready? Do you think the NHL is uh, as as progressive as they've ever been and ready for uh, if the time comes for an openly gay player. Some people are. Um, some people definitely are. Uh, you mentioned a name earlier, Brendan Shanahan. Mm-hmm. Um, the day after I came out, Brendan called me. Uh, I had never met the man at the time, and we spoke for an hour, hour and a half. Uh, it was wonderful. Um, Kyle Dubas was the assistant equipment manager in Sault Ste. Marie when I played there. Um, Kyle was one of the first people to reach out when I came out. Uh, oh. Kim Davis at the NHL. Definitely. And obviously the Burks, um, are huge allies and advocates for the community. Um, so there are people, are there people that aren't? Yes. Without a doubt, um, there's people that are going to go to that notion of distraction or this or that. They might say, "Oh, you know, yeah, it's it's, um, you know, it's it's fine that you know I, I'm fine with somebody being gay, but I don't want the distraction on my team." Well, and and this isn't, you know, I I want to make sure I word this properly, but um, there's stories every year of people who's uh, wife or spouse gets cancer or somebody who's dealing with something like that. And um, how's this any different? That's powerful, but this is a distraction. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And they're saying, well, you can, you can fit a narrative any way you want to, you know, slice it. You can make it work. And, and, but, but the reality is people will say that it's a distraction, even people who say they're inclusive. So I don't, I don't know if the league is fully ready, but I think there's enough people in powerful places to ensure that, um, that person would be, um, uh, fostered and, and, uh, taken care of to make sure that they didn't, um, end up, uh, you know, in a rough place. 
Well, Brock, uh, I, I applaud you for um, the, the work that you're doing across North America and, and hopefully globally, and uh, I think it's great. And I really appreciate you taking some time tonight to uh, chat with me. And, um, you know, hopefully um, some person uh, listening to this, uh, it affects them in a positive way and, and they decide to be open because I think we should all, um, you know, I, I don't know what it is like to have to hide uh, such an important part of my life. I, I wouldn't wish that on anybody. So uh, the more people that can be open, honest and happy and, and not depressed and suicidal, uh, obviously the better off uh, we are. Thank you so much, Brock. If, if somebody is trying to reach you, uh, they want to reach out, they want to ask, they want some advice. Uh, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, um, feel free to reach out anytime. Uh, I mean, if, if there are players listening who are struggling um, or, or just need an ally, I mean, um, people came there, were there for me when I first came out uh, within the community, and I try and, you know, support anyone who comes out publicly within sport as much as I can before and after. Um, they can reach out or anyone who just has any questions in general. Uh, my Instagram is Brock McGillis 33 and my Twitter is Brock underscore McGillis or at info at Brock Great stuff, Brock. Thank you so much for joining me and, uh, best of luck with the uh, activism and, uh, changing one mind at a time. Thanks very much for joining me. Thank you. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. Got nothing to drink. How do you smile? No longer a child. That's a great conversation with uh, Brock McGillis, uh, who could be coming to. Uh, an arena or school uh, near you. Um, obviously, uh, he mentioned the various ways to get in touch with him. And uh, big thanks to Sweet Jesus. I Got Time. That's what uh, played us out of that interview. Uh, that's from their debut album, Policeman's Creek. You can find Sweet Jesus on Apple Music. All right, before we go, time to reveal the Acme Meat Market trivia question. Name one of the two OHL teams Brock McGillis played for. Simple. All you have to do is uh, send me an email, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. That's sportsandmorepod at gmail.com. Um, send me a note. Tell me the answer and what you thought of the interview as well. Name one of the two OHL teams Brock McGillis played for. If you're correct, and sometimes we get several people that are correct and we throw it in a draw. But if you're correct, if you if your name comes out, uh, you could win yourself. Uh, you will win yourself uh, if you are correct and your name is drawn. A $25 gift card from Acme Meat Market. So you can check out uh, Corey, Amanda, their wonderful staff in the Richie Meat Market, in the, in the Richie Market, rather, in Edmonton, 9570 76th Avenue. Check them out, acmemeatmarket.ca. Uh, you'll be getting it from the Mark Messier of Butchers. Corey the Butcher, which is a Twitter handle, he's a Team Canada for the World Butchers Challenge in September 2020. So if you know one of the two teams 
in the OHL that Brock McGill has played for, send us a note, sportsandmorepod at gmail.com, and you could win yourself a gift card from Acme Meat Market. That's all for this week. Thank you very much for being with me. Next week, Jason Strudwick, the one and only. Maybe we'll get him to sing a little song, do a little dance, get down tonight. I don't know. Struddy will join me on next week's episode. Really looking forward to that conversation. Thanks very much for joining me on the program. Playtime is over. The river is alone. It's joining me down here. And the sun beats my soul. No shelter around here. This is the Sports and More podcast with Dean Millard. A piece of wood floats by. Does that mean she says goodbye? Hi, just because the level is low. Doesn't mean she has to just come and go home. I'm so high, the river is alone.